Folks, this is a command for all of us. And in the context, there were people in the midst of that body who were not saved. And the believers in that body are supposed to see to it that no one in their midst comes short of God's grace. That no one would not be saved. Not everyone who comes to church is saved. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, the title of your message today asks an important question. Yes, it does, Dave. And that title is, How Are We Going to Respond to God's Discipline? Indeed, we come to our last message on our series in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to see the last of two exhortations that we must heed. So with this in mind, let's pay close attention and turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're looking at verses 14 to 17. Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. Ephesians chapter 5, we have an illustration, turn to an illustration in the context of marriage and then in the context of the church, Christ being the husband, the church being the bride. We have an illustration of sanctification. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might what? Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle in any such thing, so that she should be holy and blameless. First Peter chapter 2, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Turn to one last passage, Second Thessalonians 2.13. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. God takes us through his word, and when we trust him, we believe him, we rely on him, we trust in him, it's in the context of faith, and he changes us. So how can we pursue something that God does? How do we pursue something that he does? Pursue him through the word. He uses his word. Make him your focus. Trust in him. Obey him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Understand what he's doing in the context of your difficulties. Allow his word to direct your heart. Set your heart completely on that. He says, pursue the sanctification. Let me ask you this, brothers and sisters. Are you pursuing the sanctification? Are you chasing after it like a dog would chase after a cat? Are you pursuing the sanctification? Are you pursuing that, desiring to be more like Christ, allowing his word to change your thinking towards every circumstance in your life? But we're commanded to do it. The Apostle Paul set his heart on that. He said, Brethren, I do not regard myself as laying hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead... I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Are you pursuing the sanctification? Are you pursuing that? 
And by the way, we need to do this with those of like mind. 2 Timothy 2.22 Now flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Do you pursue sanctification? Well, notice we see that there's a little statement at the end, but turn back to chapter 12, verse 14. A little qualification here, which is a difficult one. Without which no one will see the Lord. Very interesting statement. What's he saying here? That we will not see the Lord, i.e. we will not be with him forever if we don't pursue sanctification? Is that what he's saying? That seems like it's dependent on us pursuing rather than by his grace we're saved, right? What's he saying here? Now, if he said that this way, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which you will not see the Lord, that would be a difficult portion to interpret. But notice he says here, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I'm not sure of what he means here, but my thought in light of what he shared earlier about the wheel tracks and not that someone will be healed rather than stumbled, my thought is that what he's saying here is without the testimony of Christ in our lives through peaceful, loving the brethren and Christ-empowered, holy living, that no one's going to see the Lord. They're not going to see the Lord in your life. You know, if you're not pursuing peace, right relationships with men by the power of the Spirit, if you're not pursuing being more like Christ, no one's going to see Christ in you. That's quite possible. Look at Matthew chapter 5. You know, the Lord manifests his character through his people. And they can be stumbled. Look at Matthew chapter 5. And this is in the context of difficulties, persecution, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You believers, that's what Jesus is saying, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification with which no one's going to see the Lord. Apart from that. Now, obviously, we need to be set apart initially, but the context here is that ongoing sanctification. Do you pursue sanctification? Do you pursue it? Is your life a testimony of Christ or of the flesh? What's your life testify to? Does it testify of Christ? Does it testify of you? Do you see why it's important to get back on track? It's important. We are witnesses for Christ either negatively through sinful compromise or positively through faithful, trusting obedience. Now as we come to the end of our text, notice we have some warnings some threats to practical holiness, threats to pursuing sanctification, threats to pursuing peace, threats to that, threats to that, that we need to see to it that we don't allow these things to happen or be in our midst or our practical sanctification is at risk. You see, pursuing Christ-likeness can be at risk if these things are allowed to be around you. Look at what he says. See to it, verse 15, back in chapter 12, that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. See to it. Pursue peace. 
Do these other things. Make straight paths. Set upright those who are faltering. Pursue these things. And then he says here, see to it. You could say there's three things. Basically, you should see to it. See to it that, one, no one falls short of the grace of God. See to it, two, that no root of bitterness springs up, cause trouble. See to it, three, verse 16, that no immoral or godless person is among you like Esau. That's what he's saying. See to it. Now, this word translated, see to it, is episcopuntas. That's the way it is here, episcopos. We get our word from that. Episcopal, right? It's epi and scopeo. Scopeo means to scope out, to look at. Epi is an intensified form. Episcopeo, episcopontes. It's often translated oversee or overseer. And certainly elders are to be doing this. They are to be watching out over the flock. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch, same word, over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Be looking intently. Well, what are all of us to be looking for here so that our sanctification isn't at risk? What do we look out for? First of all, he says here, as we pursue peace and sanctification, we should be looking carefully that no one comes short of the grace of God. Pretty sobering statement. The term come short means to be late, to miss something completely. If you miss your flight, you miss your flight. You're not getting on it. You miss the bus, you miss the bus. You're not getting on the bus. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Folks, this is a command for all of us. And in the context, there were people in the midst of that body who were not saved. And the believers in that body are supposed to see to it that no one in their midst comes short of God's grace. That no one would not be saved. The desire is for them to be saved. I have a newsflash for all of us. Not everyone who comes to church is saved. And there were those in this book in the Hebrews that were convicted by the word. They were identified, but they weren't saved yet. And they were on the verge of turning away from the grace of God, the only thing that could save them. You see, God poured out his grace. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. All him, nothing from us. And if you turn away from that, you are falling short of the grace of God. Because we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's God's grace. If you turn away from Jesus, you are falling short of the grace of God. And we are commanded as believers to see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. We're to be pursuing peace and sanctification, seeing to it. One pastor writes, We are tempted to hold back from witnessing to those who profess to be Christians we believe who are not because we are afraid of offending them. Yet how much greater offense is to their eternal souls if we fail to present Christ. We are exhorted and commanded to make every effort to see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Are you willing to speak truth to someone for their sake of their eternal destiny? Don't let Satan deceive you. Having wishful thinking... See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. You know, I share the gospel all the time here because I know not everyone is saved. I share the gospel because I know not everyone is saved, and I pray for those who are not saved. And I have a concern for them, and I pray you do too. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That's a command for all of us. 
Then notice we're also to watch out so as to rid troublemaking, defiling, unrepentant, godless people. Look at verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. The implication is that these non-believers, if they stay non-believers and stay in the church, they're going to be a problem. They either get saved or they go, but if they stay, there's going to be a problem. That there be no immoral, godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. These are threats to our sanctification, folks. These are threats to pursuing peace. And here we have examples of those here in this passage, those who had turned away from Christ internally, but are staying in the body. They're not leaving the church. They're there in the church. It's what the word apostasy means. It means to turn away. It's a revolt. It's a defection from Christ. We are to see to it that there are none of these in the body. He says, root of bitterness. Turn to Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29. This is where this root of bitterness would come from. This is they would understand this. The Jews. The Israelites are warned by Moses about one whose heart apostatized. Deuteronomy 29.18 Lest there shall be among you a man or a woman, a family or tribe, who turns away from the Lord our God to go and serve the other gods of those nations. Lest there shall be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And it shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. The root of bitterness is like, I'm okay with God, but yet I keep going my own way. In order to destroy the watered land with the dry, the Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book shall rest on him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. You see, if you know the truth and you're identifying with it and you walk away from it in your heart, you can't be forgiven. It's only through Christ that we are forgiven. And he says here, see to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. We saw the trouble earlier in Proverbs, right? We saw the trouble, strife, quarrels, slander, all this stuff. Someone who is sinful, causing trouble in the body of Christ. See to it that it doesn't spring up. See to it. Now, brethren, I urge you to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. The constant teaching you learn and turn away from them. See to it it doesn't spring up. Speaking of false teachers, these are ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the Spirit. See to it that it doesn't spring up. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self-condemned. See to it, it doesn't spring up. And notice what it says, causing trouble. It's the opposite of peace. Causing strife in the body of Christ. Causing difficulty, because they're not saved. They're a root of bitterness. We've seen that. People complaining about this and this and this and this. Causing people's hearts to be turned. It's a root of bitterness. See to it that it doesn't happen. Folks, when someone comes around you and starts spitting out stuff that is ungodly, don't listen to it about other people. Don't do it. See to it that it doesn't happen. Because he says, and by it, many be defiled. The root spurs up, it's not dealt with, people will be defiled. If you let them arise and grow, many will be defiled. They cause trouble. They bear spiritual poison. Again, we've seen that. People say little things. It's poisonous. Don't listen to it. Don't allow it to be in your midst. Root it out, expose it. And how do we do that? Obviously, we begin by sharing the Word of God with them. 
if they're not saved, that they might not fall short of the grace of God, which appears they're not. Then we might have to share Galatians 6, Matthew 18, Romans 16, Titus 3. How do we do it? We obey God's word in relationship to these people. That's how we do it. Righteously address these roots of bitterness. Get them out. They are threats to your sanctification. They are threats. We've seen that here. Roots of bitterness who have caused people to leave. They're no longer being fed the word of God, at least here. They have hard hearts and bad attitudes towards people that are sinful. Cause trouble. Defile. Very sad. Well, lastly, we're warned, notice that we are to watch out for the unrepentant, immoral, godless like Esau. He says, verse 16, that there be no immoral, godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. But the Jews would have understood this. We have the perfect illustration of apostasy, what someone is like who's an apostate. Seeking the things of God for personal benefit. It's an apostate. In Genesis chapter 25, you can read this. I was going to read it for you, but we have the true story of Esau selling his birthright. Genesis chapter 25, Esau was Isaac's firstborn. He was the heir to the promise. And we have the true story of this where he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for a single meal. You think, well, that's not a big deal. But the true story reveals the character of a man who would reject the promises of God for a single meal. He would reject God's promises. And underlying those promises is a Messiah who's going to come for a single meal. Here we see this wicked man, Esau, was so focused on the physical relating to food that it was an evidence where he was spiritually. He thought so little of God's word and promises to Abraham and Isaac, to whom he was the firstborn, that he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew because he was hungry. You can look at Genesis 25. And then we have a description of him, verse 16, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. The term immoral, pornea, probably relating to his Hittite wives he had, which greatly troubled his parents. You can see that in chapter 26 of Genesis. And in relation to God, he was godless. He was godless. He sold his own birthright for a single meal. Now, he is what we would call someone who grew up in a Christian home. What do I mean by that? His family believed in Eve's seed, the Messiah who was to come, yet he was godless. He thought so little of God's word and the tremendous promises to Abraham and Isaac, to which he was the firstborn, that he sold it for a bowl of stew because he was hungry. But guess what? We see his godlessness even more so because he desired to have the benefits even though he sold it. He wanted the blessing. Look in verse 17. For explaining that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, that's related to the firstborn, which he sold his birthright, he was rejected. Why? For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it, that's the blessing, with tears. He was self-seeking. See to it that no one in the church is like this. Self-seeking, godless people like Esau. See to it, they're a threat to your sanctification. Watch out for it. Watch out for them. He was rejected. He found no place for repentance. He was crying. He had a worldly sorrow. Last passage I want to turn to. Turn to 2 Corinthians 7. He had a worldly sorrow. And by the way, we see that here. People have a worldly sorrow over the situation, but they're not sorrowful over their sin. They're sorrowful over what's happening to them, the consequences. See to it that no one is like that around you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. 
I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces what? Repentance without regret. You know, there's a joy. If your children are being disciplined right and you do it properly, they're going to be happy afterwards. They're going to be turning and be, be joyful on that because they're, they're forgiven. Same thing with us. When you've truly forgiven, there isn't any, there's a regret for your sin, but not a regret that you've been forgiven. You're thankful without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Esau was crying over losing the blessing. He wanted his own way. He wanted the blessing. But he thought so little of the promises of God. See to it, you all, that there are no unrepentant apostates like Esau who are sincere to the point of tears, but they will not repent for their sin. There are threats to your sanctification. There are threats, brothers and sisters. When we see this, we need to address it biblically, address it righteously. We need to share the Christ that they wouldn't fall short of the grace of God. We need to share the word of God and relate rightly to these people who appear to be like this, roots of bitterness, whatever it might be. Godless person like Esau. Are you willing to purge out the poison? Are you willing to support the leaders when they're purging it out? We're all to see to it that these things do not arise and defile many. Rid them through obedience to Christ and his word for the good of all. Are you fellowshipping with any of these? Rid of bitterness? Those defiled? We are to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. So how are we to respond to God's discipline? His loving discipline. Everything he does is good, brothers and sisters. It's hard. It's hard right now. It's hard when you go through those difficulties, even if it's for your sin, whatever it might be. You confessed it. God is using it for good. But how do we respond? Don't treat it lightly. Don't faint. Know he's bringing about holiness in your life. Get put up straight again. Start running the race. Get your wheel track straight. Start obeying the Lord because people are going to see your life and see to it that these unrepentant, godless people don't defile you in your pursuit of holiness and righteousness in Jesus Christ. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Equipping the Saints, and our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. Today's message from the book of Hebrews is available to hear again online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. When you visit our website, you'll not only find today's broadcast, but a host of additional audio resources waiting there for you. As a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all of our audio resources are available at no cost to you. This is made possible because of the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we close out our brief study here in the book of Hebrews, what's one takeaway you can give us? You know, Dave, the one takeaway is this. 
the Christian life is not hard to do on your own. It's impossible. And on your own, you will fail living the Christian life. But when you're willing to submit yourself to God and commit your ways to him and trust and obey him, then you're going to see the life change that occurs when Christ works in our heart. And as we've seen, it's through God's loving discipline that brings us to the point of submission. And it's through his grace and mercy in the context of dependent trust that sustains us in these difficult times. Now, my friends in Christ, if you're longing to see the Lord work in your life like never before, then starting today, right after this broadcast is over, find a quiet place, repent of any sin in your life, and and ask the Lord to strengthen and encourage you to resist those things, to say no, and begin to walk rightly with him. You see, even if you've been a Christian for some time, maybe you've allowed the world to creep in or whatever it might be, today is the day to confess your sin and come back to Jesus Christ and be restored so that you can serve him faithfully all the days of your life. Do not delay. Do it now. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you'd like a complimentary CD of today's broadcast, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again tomorrow, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a broadcast ministry of Equipping Bible Church. Yeah.